Uh, okay, so there are some myths, though, in the Christmas story that we get talked about a lot that I think we miss sometimes. So um, we think of, like, the three wise men, of course, showing up at the scene, and that's not really what happened. And really, there weren't three wise men. Your Bible says there were some magi or wise men. There were some. It doesn't say three. It says there were three gifts. Frankenstein was not one of those gifts, all right? But um, there were three gifts that were given by some wise men, and that was actually much later um, after he was born. And, then, uh, and also the star, everyone thinks of like the star being like up above, you know, and the shepherds being like, oh, there's a star. The star came much later, and that's what drew the, the, these wise men to, uh, to Bethlehem, or the, to that area anyway, where he was. So, um, all right, so in Luke's gospel, so we have actually, uh, we technically finished the series in Luke last week, and I decided to go ahead and, and go backwards and start back at the beginning, and, because really the road to Jerusalem, it starts in Bethlehem, right? And so we're going to talk about this uh, for a little bit this morning. So there are some parallels between the birth of John the Baptist, who's mentioned first in Luke, and then the birth of Jesus. And uh, first of all, there's the arrival of Gabriel to both women. There's also the news of an impossible pregnancy because we know two kinds of women never get pregnant. It's very old ladies and virgins, all right? The, uh, typically, they don't get pregnant, right? And that happens in both these situations. And then there's the initial response of fear that we see in Elizabeth with, with uh, John the Baptist and also Joseph and Mary whenever they're announced by Gabriel that they're going to have a baby. And then there is the, of course, promise about the child's future and their identity, all right? So um, I thought about this, how every, every parent today, when you're, you're going to have a baby, when you find out you're having a baby, you think that you ask these questions like, I wonder if my kid is going to be one of those, like, really, like, maybe they're going to be president one day. Maybe they're going to be, you start having these, like, delusions of grandeur, like, what if, just what if, you know? And, uh, and you think your kid's going to be this, like, maybe this really special, special thing. But these, these parents were told that their son was going to be really, really special. So they actually knew that going into it um, with the story of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, and also Mary and Joseph with Jesus. So um, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. Turn your Bibles there. Luke 2, 1 through 7, where it says, In those days a decree, I think I have my, my clicker here. Here we go. Sorry. Let me go backwards. There we go. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. All right, so we've talked about this a lot in the last in the series, that um, Israel, of course, is under Roman rule. And in order to tax the people, they had to register people in the empire. So um, Joseph lives in Nazareth, which is in the north of Israel, but he has to travel to the south where he's from, which is where Bethlehem is located. And they travel 80 miles south all the way to Bethlehem, which is really close to Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting because God uses this, this like worldly decision of a leader like Caesar to fulfill prophecy. It's very interesting because um, it would be inconvenient to travel so far 
when, when someone's pregnant, of course, especially riding on the kind of animals that they had to ride on. They didn't have a golf cart like that. And, uh, and, but when you think about it, sometimes following God's will can be very inconvenient for us. And we see that, that they're inconvenienced, but they're going to fulfill prophecy, even based on the location of where he's going to be born. But it's also, you have to think, this is a mercy for Mary, because Mary has this impossible pregnancy, right? And people in the town that she lives in, in Nazareth, are starting to talk. And obviously, there's going to be gossip. So in a, in a way, it's like God giving her a mercy to let her get out of town to go somewhere else um, to have this, this baby, this baby Jesus. Now, I want you to see just the progression in the passage here, how this, uh, just the names that are mentioned in this section. So you have, start at the top, there's Caesar Augustus. He's pretty important. He's pretty powerful. Then you have Quirinius, who is a regional governor. Then it mentions Joseph, who's a poor, but he's a free man. Then you have Mary, who's an unmarried pregnant woman. Then you have Jesus, this infant, who's now placed in a feeding trough. So you see the progression. So these opening verses show how lowly Jesus was in his birth. Because Caesar, of course, lives in Rome. Oh, man, this is getting exciting. This is crazy. This is insanity. All right, so I told him if it goes to the shootout, we may have to go to the shootout if it goes to the shootout, which it probably will. How much time is left? Hey, you guys get off your phones. Seriously, come on now. I mean, seriously, come on. This is the Bible. After I ask you the score. Two minutes to play. All right, this is crazy. Um, what did y'all do in church today? Uh, we watched soccer? I don't know. Uh, um, all right, so... What was I saying? I forget. So Jesus was an infant. Thank you. And so Caesar lives in this big palace, surrounded by all of these riches. But then the, the true king is, is born in this, this smelly location, this place where animals are kept. And, of course, placed in a feeding trough where, in which animals would eat out of. And so there really can't be more disparity between Caesar and the infant Jesus. And, of course, his kingdom is going to outlive the Roman Empire, the Roman Kingdom. So um, Jesus wasn't just born in poverty, but he lived in poverty. And I think this is really important because if you look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So Paul's talking about how Jesus humbled himself and, and literally took on physical poverty on our behalf so that we can be considered rich spiritually. And, uh, and so we see how, we've seen how throughout the series how lowly Jesus was in his life, also in his death, being put to death with criminals. But he's lowly, of course, even in his birth when he, when he first came to us. Now, um, like I said, we have all these images. You saw some of those in the video of like what it must have been like and what our imaginations think of when we think of the the, the coming of the Savior. And, uh, but many, many people believe that he was born more like in a cave-type dwelling rather than a wooden shed out in some open field. And I want to show you a couple of pictures. This is actually modern-day uh, Bethlehem. And you can see how hilly it is. It's very kind of hilly, mountainous. Um, and this is uh, just a part of the skyline. And then here's another picture of a similar area. Um, but we drove through it. We were in Israel back in May, 
and uh, it's just very, it's not what you picture. You're like, this is Bethlehem. I was picturing some little sleepy, quiet town, you know, and that's not what it is. And uh, there's even a place, again, it's always hard to know because there are traditional locations that people say, church history will say, we think this is where this took place, but we're not really sure. And then they'll build a church as a monument to that location, and it becomes like this place of a shrine. So, you know what? We don't know the exact location where his birth took place. But in Bethlehem, there is a church called the Church of the, of the Nativity. And this is that church. It's been there for years and years. And they built it over top of this, what's called a grotto, which is like a cave under the ground, where, they, where some think that could have been the place where, um, where this birth uh, may have taken place. And here's the, the shrine that they built. There's actually a cave kind of, I think, behind that um, that they think. And again, it's like you see these places and you're like, we don't really know, but this is where some think it is. So it's like, how am I supposed to feel when I'm looking at this? I'm not quite sure, right? So, um, but just wanted to show you those pictures. And so something else interesting is that Bethlehem means house of bread, which is the ideal place for the bread of life to be born into, right? Um, other events that happened in Bethlehem would be the death of Rachel, which is, was Isaac's wife, birth of Benjamin, Jacob's son, and also the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. It's a very significant place in, uh, in the Bible. And then look at verse 8 in Luke chapter 2 where it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a, a, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So again, we're, we're so familiar with this story that we forget how strange it is. You know, if God, if God shows up in the flesh and you're trying to get the word out to the world, right, wouldn't it make more sense to go to the most important people, the most powerful people in the world, like the rulers, the governors, the Caesar, you know, even Caesar himself, and make this pronouncement? But who does God choose to go to? Well, he goes to, or maybe even you would go to like the Jewish leaders, right? But who does, maybe the priests, maybe the scribes, the rabbis, but God announces it to the least significant, the shepherds, who, weren't, who were like despised people and distrusted people in that time. So you see, he comes to the outcast first. Another reason why I think he came to shepherds first was because he came as the good shepherd, and he comes as the Lamb of God, and he'd be sacrificed for the sins of the world. It's very important to think about that. It's also entirely possible that in this location where sheep are being raised and they're shepherds, that these very sheep would become the sacrifices in the temple because Bethlehem is really close to Jerusalem. And so there's another, I think, important tie in there as well. So whenever we think of the Christmas story, we think of like this warm and cozy, you know, sentimental story, but it really wasn't that. It's a story that's like laced with fear. And surrounded by fear. So Gabriel appears to Mary, then Joseph. Both are afraid. An angel appears to shepherds, and it says they're filled with great fear. And then after the angel makes the announcement, this multitude of angels appears. That means like thousands. So we always picture like there's like ten angels like in a little circle in the sky. You know, is how we picture it. But this multitude of angels appears. 
um, when this announcement is made. Okay, time out. Where do we stand? Second, okay. I'm almost done, guys. I mean, it's kind of crazy how fast the sermon went, right? I mean, come on. Um, a few more pictures here. One to show you. Uh, all right, this is actually um, a view from what's called the shepherd's field in Israel. And again, not what you imagine in your mind. The apartments in the background are kind of a little bit of a vibe kill, right? Uh, but that field below is, is an area where they believe that there was lots of shepherding going on in, uh, in Bethlehem. And, uh, and we saw that very field. Some think that that field may have been the place where Ruth and Boaz actually met in that location, in that, in that valley. And, uh, and they think that this is where the shepherds may have been when they were first uh, appeared uh, with the angels. Um, other pictures, like this area has some caves in it. So they believe there were, there were like caves where um, sheep would go into for shelter. And, uh, and this is one of the only sections of Bethlehem that's like that. So they really believe there's strong evidence for that here. And here's a picture of one of our, Danny, our executive pastor, going down into one of those caves that we got to go into there. There's, you can see how animals could actually step down in there for shelter um, in that location. It's very interesting when you're there. It's not what you picture in your mind. Look back at Luke chapter 2, verse 15, where it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So these shepherds, they leave their work. Uh, we assume that somebody else is watching after their sheep while they go in, into Bethlehem and to see this uh, baby for themselves. And I think the shepherds provide this. It is, okay. We're on, we have like two minutes. We're done. Um, the shepherds are this ex excellent example for us as we think about our own salvation. So they receive the message by faith, and then they respond with immediate obedience. And then after encountering Jesus, they go and they report the good news to other people and I think at times we struggle, we, we think that we have to grow to a certain level to like become this missional evangelistic person. It's not true. The shepherds were sharing this news immediately when they heard about it, right? Uh, back then in that time, shepherds would not be allowed to testify in court because they weren't trusted. But God trusts these lowly shepherds with the most amazing news in the history of the world. And I think it reminds us that we are also undeserving of that news, but God allows us to share it with other people as well. We're called to do that. One last thing we see, everyone's fear in the story turns to joy. And I think about that as a real, it's true for Mary, it's true for Joseph, it's true for the shepherds, it's also true for us. You may have just come to know Christ recently, and it's, it can be a terrifying thing to, as a new believer. What's this life with Christ look like? But I think if you trust him, and you take each step in your faith with the body of Christ at your side, God will also turn that fear into joy for you as well. So 